Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And we've just had the fourth round of the FA Cup. Arsenal are, are knocked out after losing 1-0 to Southampton. Spurs surviving a scare from Wickham to go through to the fifth round. But probably the biggest uh, footballing stories in North London are happening off the pitch at the moment with the long-awaited departure of Meza Ozil and the imminent arrival of Mayan Odegaard. Um, Jason, how are Arsenal fans looking back on Ozil's time at the club and how excited are you about the prospect of Odegaard coming in to replace him for the rest of the season, at least? It's very interesting because, as you know, Michael, I mean, being a psychology student, I, um, I'm i a very reflective person. But actually, I'm not giving myself a chance to really sit and reflect on what some would call a legacy from Meza Ozil. Uh, a lot of bloggers, Le Grove specifically, talks about this kind of... Um, he, he calls it a bit creepy in a way, and, and people weirdos for, for this kind of cult um, around Meza Ozil, that there are fans who who came to support the club because of him. It's a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo fans where, you know, they just support the team that the player plays for. And they, they kind of gravitate, you know, all these Madrid fans, now Juve fans. It's the same kind of for him that it's something to do with, you know, he's an ambassador for the Muslim community, um, his Turkish heritage. And, and I, I think he... He gathers these followers and they're so devoted and loyal that even if you told them anything against it, it, it it's very much that confirmation bias. They, they'd, they'd ignore it because they said, no, 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 Mesut Ozil is the greatest playmaker in the 21st century. He's a generational talent. He's, you know, he he changed the way Arsenal worked. And and I guess I mean, I'm going to use this as my, my therapy session for Mesut Ozil, please, because I haven't really come to terms with it. He... he when he came in 2013, 2014, that was the first real big, big signing for Arsenal. I mean, we had that Arshavin thing on, on the deadline day and it kind of, it was a bigger player, but it wasn't the kind of magnitude of money and and esteem and, and, and you know, the, the CV that Meza Ozil had. And, you know, we, we can't dispute that he took us up a level because that season he signed, we won an FA Cup. We hadn't been winning anything for years. Um, and somewhere along the line, it went wrong. I do think overall, as a pattern of play, he never really looked for 90 minutes ever for me, like he was running the game. And people said that was his style, but I just don't believe that if you're a creative player, you can hide in the game. And that shows that you're just doing a subtly um, world-class approach. I mean, with a defender, I get it. You don't want to see. You want to see a defender you know, marking players out the game and actually looking like they're not doing anything, but they are, or players making runs, etc. But he he just was walking a lot of the time. Um, there were clear attitude problems. You don't get dropped by one, two, I mean, the four managers, really. Wenger, Emery, Lindbergh and Arteta all didn't fancy him at points. You know, he got away days off because it sounds like he wasn't up to it. You know, he, he didn't take feedback kindly. And listen, I'm the first to put my hands up to say I struggle with, with negative feedback. Um, I'm actually, I might as well give a shout out. I'm reading a book about called Thanks for the Feedback. It's by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And I reckon, I reckon Mezzet could have, could have uh, done with that because it sounds like some reports today that he, after being told that he needs to up his game regularly by Unai, he, he threw his toys out the pram. I mean, if he was fit and Freddie Lindbergh, you know, only had a few games and he was, you know, 
transitioned out then as well. Doesn't bode well. And even Arteta gave him a go. He said, listen, you're my mate. I'm going to give you a go. Fresh slate. And he managed to ruin that as well. So I don't have any sympathy. I don't know the true story. If it was something to do with commercial issues, fine. But the truth is, I don't think he's been good on the pitch for at least five years from when I've seen him. And, you know, thank you for the memories. I don't see him as an Arsenal legend. I think he lost that privilege when he when he stopped performing to a consistently high standard. And, and Aubameyang is falling into that camp as well recently, um, albeit his attitude is a little bit more positive, um, I believe, so far. Um, so, yeah, out with the old O, uh, as we call it in, in German. And I'm not sure how you pronounce the new, the new O, but uh, Martin Odegaard, I was really, 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 really excited when I heard the story, and I thought it was, it was, um, it was just rumor and, and kind of, um, you know, classic transfer window gossip. I, I think the only thing I really know is that when he signed at that young age, I think it was 15 for Real Madrid, everyone was buzzing. I mean, it was, it was wow. You know, this kid is the new Messi. He's that good. He could probably walk into Real Madrid's first team and it didn't quite work like that I I decided last night to do the classic uh, back to my 13 year old days going onto YouTube and saying Martin Odegaard welcome to Arsenal and I looked at some videos and I just was a bit like meh I didn't see anything like I saw some good free kicks and, and some skills and things but it it was like watching Nicolas Pepe right now <laughs> in terms of like, his best fit and that's really concerning to me because Thank God he's not costing us 72 million pounds, but it's uh, it, it, it's. I, I think the question might be, you know, you've got this new youngster and Emma Smith Rowe coming through, and the whole point was we needed that creative outlet that we have. And our, you know, Edu said it in the board meeting that we're, or the the AGM we're gonna bring in someone creative, and then Emma Smith Rowe came through, and you thought, oh, okay, maybe they'll say that's the classic like a new signing. This is really exciting because it just adds to the talent. And you can see in the lineup today, you know, Pepe's playing. We know he's not up to it. We're going to see another stink out performance today. I'm almost certain of it. So that's sort of the place where where he would slot in. Um, it's kind of a it's a, it's a low risk transfer because um, you know nothing's going to happen. A little bit of money. If it works out brilliantly, if it doesn't. Bye, see you in the summer. Um, and it gives us that buying time to say, OK, we can see if there's any more young talent who's ready to take that step up or, or bed them in. Um, or kind of he might set standards so we can, we can sign someone in that profile in the summer. Um, so I'm very excited. I think everyone's really excited. And it's just nice to see the club make the changes. And I think I need to add on that um, Welcome to Matty Ryan as well, because we knew Runner Runnison wasn't up for it. And they went in and they realised we need a keeper. We're going to get a keeper. It's a pretty good profile um, for, for a second keeper. Um, and we can only be happy with that. So, yeah, I'd say I'm, put in, in my opinion, delighted with the Urzel leaving and um, delighted with Odegaard all but coming into the club. And I guess... Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it from an outside perspective. I know you you have some probing Jeremy Paxman-like questions to ask me, and I, I'm ready as always. 
Well, I suppose with Odegaard, um, it's interesting to hear you make the the Pepe comparison because I I was basically just going to ask, you know, what what's all the fuss about? Because, as you said, I know from he's always been kind of hyped up as this hot young prospect, but you think that if he was all that, he would have made the grade at Real Madrid. Okay, I know that's not necessarily a club with a strong reputation for bringing through youngsters. They're more about going out and signing Galacticos. So maybe he went to the wrong club there. And I know he's impressed when he's been out at loan at other clubs. I think Real Sociedad was one. But given what you were sort of looking for at the start of the window, when there was all this talk, you were linked to all sorts of creative midfielders who you were going to sign. And, and given that it's just going to be a loan to the end of the season, okay, maybe it will be extended into next season. But I kind of think in a way it's, is it not almost a lose-lose for Arsenal? Because either he won't do well because he appears to have injury problems and he's unproven and by the time he's actually adapted to the league, he might be on his way out. And then if he does do well, he'll probably go back to Real Madrid or they'll probably try and sell him on for a bigger price than, than Arsenal might be able to afford. I just wonder whether this is a kind of classic case of short-term solution mm-hmm. when what you need is more of a of a long-term long-term thing I mean would you rather not be permanently signing someone who's going to be your player and who's ready to hit the ground running rather than taking this gamble on a player who if it pays off you might not be able to keep yeah I appreciate that argument and I think what I would say is that there are two facts at play one is the fact that I just don't think there's money I think the COVID situation has really made a struggle and we've spent money on absolute dross. We've just paid off um, Socrates and Ozil out of their contracts for no return, just to get rid of toxic characters. And we're about to do the same for Mustafi, I believe. Um, and then, you know, it's classic January market as well. So I'm not sure who the names you're referring to in terms of being linked, but, you know, I don't know how much was out there that would fit the bill of, you know, we can't afford to spend big money now. So we just need to bring in a solution. And it's, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a risk in the sense that it just might not work and he might be injured. And we've done that with Kim Kallstrom before. It happened with, um, what's his name? Suarez, Dennis Suarez. Um, and it could be exactly the same, but I think Arteta is damaged limitation for the rest of the season. He just wants, you know, the club just want to be able to have a respectable finish, have a go in the Europa League now, and and get that feeling of this is where we could go as a club and get that identity and that's an, uh, this is our test audition to say I've got all the ingre- the ingredients now to say I don't need these you know I've got young players I don't need these senior has-beens and I can show you what this would look like Arsenal light and if Odegaard slips in the system and it works out and he comes great if it doesn't work out you you could say well, look, this is what works. This is what the system needs. Let's go find someone of that ilk. It could be him. It could be someone else. Um, but yeah, that, that's where my mindset is as a fan, is that this is an audition for Arteta to say, you screwed up spending all that money last summer um, and ostracising a lot of these characters. Now it's time to show what you're really made of. And if you're a great coach and you can coach young players, you have six months to do it. You don't have many get you, you only have Europa League games, go and do it. And if he doesn't do it, I wouldn't say he'd be sacked in the summer, but I certainly say that 
if he has another run like earlier this season, yeah, the ma- the manager could be um, could be out the door. Well, speaking, it's interesting you bring that up because obviously the the big news story this week outside of Arsenal and Spurs is is Chelsea sacking Frank Lampard, and I was wondering how that made you think in terms of Arsenal's situation because obviously until that that three one victory over Chelsea, it was Arteta who looked like he was going to be the one to get the sack, and really it was a huge a reversal of fortunes after that game. Pretty much Lampard and Chelsea then took on all of all of the baggage that Arteta and Arsenal have been carrying, and ever since that game the fortunes of the two clubs and two managers have been completely different. But obviously Arteta had a much worse run than, than Lampard's had. Chelsea is still above Arsenal in the league, but they've taken this ruthless decision to to get rid and to go out and, and get a better manager while he's available. And I'm wondering, does it make you think any differently about Arsenal's approach to managers over the years? Do you look at what Chelsea have done and think that is a club who uh, have got high standards and they're sticking to it, they're not accepting anything less, they're, they're being ruthless and that's what we should have done? Or are you happy that Arsenal are giving Arteta the time and, and the patience to try and build something for the future? You're looking at maybe Solskjaer United and, OK, let's see where they end up at the end of the season. But, you know, who are you looking towards more enviously? You're looking at kind of United and Solskjaer and thinking that's who he could be? Or are you looking at Chelsea and Lampard and thinking, I, w- I wish our board was was that decisive and, and held uh, standards as high as that? Mm. Um to be honest, I was prepared for the question to ask if I was going to get Frank Lam- Frank Lampard to come to Arsenal when I was about <laughs> to just tell you uh, I'm hanging up the call. Um, so I think to start off looking at Frank Lampard in particular, it was always inevitable because I always thought of Chelsea as, you know, they're a winning club. Their strategy is high risk. We we sack, we spend money, we bring in. All we want to do is win trophies. We don't, we do it again. and We see what works and sticks. For them, when they had that transfer ban, the top managers were saying, that's not what we do. We need money. Um, they'd lost Hazard, I believe, around that time. So Lampard made sense for Abramovich. It was a PR win, you know, bringing the legend home. He seemed like he had some coaching skills. And and, he, and really, in the circumstances last year, Frank Lampard won. To get top four and get to a cup final was a win. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for him in terms of winning those trophies and, and takes them to the next level. But he brought those young players through and eventually he was kind of, um, you know, a victim of his own success as such. You know, he was, he was hyped up. He, he, I'm not sure how much say he had in buying all those players, but you should think it would only add to your management style to have that talent available, but they, they didn't, they let him down. Um, in terms of top clubs, you know, they're thinking we're not looking like winning anything anytime soon. Um, we're not, you know, but they're still in the Champions League, I believe, and, and they've got that FA Cup run now. And, you know, they're not far off from Liverpool in the league. So they've got a chance still, and it's and it's them going for it. So it doesn't surprise me he's been sacked. And people saying it har- it's harsh. And, of course, it's harsh objectively. But it's, again, you have to have the context of it's Chelsea. Um in terms of comparing it to the Arteta situation, I think it certainly gives rise, if you compare them like for like and clubs like for like, yeah, of course, Arteta should have been gone ages ago, even after winning the FA Cup, you could argue. You know, listen, they, they, uh, they had Di Matteo win them the Champions League for the first time and he was out a few months later. 
I think where the difference lies is that level of investment. And although Arteta screwed up with that Willian deal, and maybe the Aubameyang Arte- contract, although that that really was a mistake that no one would have envisaged. I think it's harsh to say. Maybe again, bringing David Luiz back in from the dead, relying on Mustafi quite a bit, that reliance on Urzil. You know, eventually Emery, I suppose, was kind of the the full guy for Pepe signing. Um, but but Arteta, I think. Because he didn't have that high level of investment, and he hasn't really, and he's still trying to get rid of all the dross from the Wenger years and the Emery years, um, and bed these youngsters through, I think he gets more time in that sense. And I think he deserves that time, objectively speaking. As a fan, I have high standards, and I do believe there's a massive case for him to be sacked, you know, a couple of months ago and now still. But... I don't think bringing in a new manager now with the resources they've got is going to do much. I think a new manager would need some time to prepare the team, to really coach them. And that's really hard. Um, I've heard when you're you know you're playing almost every three days to really get some momentum through and new ideas. And um, I think they just need to really clear the dross arsenal before taking that next step. And I guess, yeah, I'm not a huge Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fan. I don't. I think it's hard to look beyond him being a good manager because, you know, you don't do what they've done for no reason. But again, it goes to that sense that they have all those players and they spent all that money and they're talented and they're going to do the business against small teams when they turn it on if they connect and click. And I think that the you'd argue yes that the Frank Lampard story and the Chelsea story they spend the money. On paper, Ole should have been sacked ages ago, albeit he turned it around now. I think the difference is between him and Arteta, with him and Arteta against Lampard is that they come for those clubs, like you said, of, of or like you alluded to, of, of heritage, where you know you had a Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger in modern-day history, and they don't want to be those sacking clubs. They want to try and keep to that. And it, it's not possible, I believe, to have that sort of legacy still, but they certainly want to have that feel, those clubs, of of kind of long-term managers who are going to build something. And even if things turn out ugly for a bit, that they will come out the other side. And that stability is fine, unless that there's some toxic toxicity around there. Um, so that's kind of where I lie from it. I think it's, I think it's harsh, but fair in the circumstances. Um, I think it's good for all the, the rival fans, because I don't think Thomas Tuchel is going to do the business. Um, and it could be a mess. Um, or again, though, it could be one of those, like a Conte type, or sorry, they come in, they do the biz, and then they go again and, and, and cycle. And I guess, you know, your club are very linked with Chelsea managers um, a few, a couple of times now. And I guess, I mean, Jose hasn't really done anything to call himself sackable. I mean, if you'd gone out in the FA Cup yesterday and you lost that the inevitable League Cup that you're going to lose and no trophies. I mean, that could be curtains for Mourinho and, 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 and justifiable because, again, it's about that. Although he hasn't had a level of investment, I guess it's about club expectations. But if Spurs have no expectations to win trophies, then, then maybe he would keep his job. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where to begin with that. Um, 
I mean, yeah, I feel like, I mean, we saw in the All or Nothing that I think Daniel Levy has this um, admiration of Mourinho that I think would um, protect him for a while. I think Champions League from the, the board's perspective is probably the biggest thing. And actually even, you know, from as fans, we probably put more importance on winning a trophy and think that that's how Mourinho will be judged. But I think the only thing that would probably make the board think twice about him is if we failed to qualify for the Champions League and then looked like we weren't going to next season either. I mean, Redknapp was sacked after um, not making the Champions League. Uh, AVB s- stayed because I think it, it was that it was that year we got 72 points, which any other year would have been enough, and we just missed out on the last day. And so they gave him another season, but then he, he was gone not long after that. I suppose Pochettino finished fifth his first season, but there were signs of upward progression, and so... And then that definitely paid off with the years to come. So, yeah, I think Mourinho's job is, is definitely safer now. But you wouldn't be surprised if in 18 months' time, for example, it was all to fall apart like it, it normally does when Mourinho enters the, the third year at a club. And actually, I think um, it wouldn't surprise me if, like AVB, like Mourinho, Thomas Tuchel ended up um, being another manager to make the jump from Stamford Bridge to, to White Hart Lane. I, I've noticed that he's only got 18 months on his contract. And I remember when um, his Dortmund team played Tottenham in the Europa League, he said in the press conference afterwards, after the second leg of White Hart Lane, that when he was a kid growing up in Germany, he used to pretend that he was Tottenham Hotspur when he was playing with his friends because he'd heard the name and he liked the name. And then when he came to actually play against the club, he said how friendly everyone around the club was. And he went on this long like soliloquy about how nice everyone at Tottenham was. I remember at the time thinking, this is a guy who's advertising himself as Pochettino's successor. As it turned out, Pochettino ended up being the one to replace him instead. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if um, Tuchel, if he wanted to stay in London after Chelsea, ended up at Spurs. Because clearly he's got some sort of um, admiration and connection to the club, which would be interesting to see what Chelsea fans make of that. Um, and I actually think he will do um, a decent job. I think he's he's a good manager. And I think Chelsea, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is what they do. It's their model. It's what's worked for them in the past. Um, and I think he probably will do a decent job. It wouldn't surprise me if he wins a trophy and then is sacked and gone in 18 months' time. I mean, people say the Lampard sacking's harsh, but they sacked Mourinho twice, who's their most successful ever manager. As you said, they sacked Di Matteo, who won them a Champions League. So... This is what they do. They go through the managers. And, and actually, um, I need to go back and find the exact minute and the exact episode. But I'm pretty sure that we predicted this in our preseason podcast over the summer when we were looking ahead and giving predictions. We mentioned the possibility of Frank Lampard getting the sack, I think, way before anybody else was. So um, the the mystic uh, Cannon and Cockerell predictions um, who uh, makes me w- worry about what other predictions we might have made and what might come true. Um like the League Cup final going to City. Well, exactly that. Yeah, which probably the form there on you, you wouldn't be surprised if um, that were to happen. But um, speaking of, of that and the, and the FA Cup, it's interesting to hear, going back to, to Mourinho and Tottenham, him saying after last night's win over Wickham that it would be lovely to have three finals at the end of this season, how one's already in the pocket. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. Um, I think the draw would have to be very favourable for us to to get that far. And even then we could mess it up. We almost did last night. Um, but it will be interesting to see as we, you know, we're over the halfway point now going into the business end of the season, whether Spurs can 
sustain fighting on on four fronts. Um, and I wonder whether you will actually look back on being knocked out of the FA Cup as, as a blessing. I mean, we haven't really talked about that. How, how did you feel about being knocked out of the FA Cup? Are you, are you annoyed that you're not going to have a better go at trying to hold on to your trophy? Or do you think that this season, given the troubles in the league, given the importance of the Europa League in terms of getting Champions League football again, do you kind of look at it as a competition you could do without this year? Mm, I have mixed feelings because when the game started, I just had a feeling that I said to my dad, we're going out. I just, there's nothing. It was that classic lineup with kind of half a first team that was the lineup that was laying us down early in the season. And once they got that goal, I mean, you just saw that like, Gabriel was pathetic all game, just misplaced passing. He looked like he still had COVID. He looked like he should be in bed. You know, he was just, he looked exhausted, um, disoriented. Um, and that's not, you know, you want the confidence to come from the back as well, especially when you're a good defensive record. Uh, not that his, it's his fault that he scored an own goal. I mean, it hit a ricochet off him. I thought Leno should have actually saved it. It was a bit weird why it went under his, under his body. Um, we just didn't look like scoring. William was pathetic, as we know. Inketia is rubbish, as we know. And Nene and Shaka are like the, the crabs who just kind of move from side to side and do nothing else. It was really, 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 really poor and miserable to watch. Um, I kind of have a few thoughts on it. I, I, I don't feel as bad because we won it last year. So I feel like, OK, let someone else have a win, you know. It, it saved Arteta's job. And if he doesn't doing anything this season, so there's no Europa League final or top six, top four, dare I say, then it makes him more vulnerable at the beginning of next season if we have another bad run to say you've got nothing in the bank, mate. You won your yeah, you won your your first FA Cup, but there's nothing now. So that's a risk on that front. But I'm not devastated. I think. A lot of the pundits were saying, why wouldn't Arsenal go for it? And I guess you could argue, yes, it is that back door to the Europa League. Fine. I do think that the way the league is this year, it's worth prioritising. I think it's open. I think we're on form. We've got a bit of momentum. We, it's basically our full focus apart from that Europa League. And I know, I know it's kind of, um, you know, is that, what's the phrase I'm looking for? A juxtaposition? Probably. Um, and, you know, it, it, it sounds funny, but I think the Premier League, if you can go for it, that's what the fans want. We want to be back up amongst the big boys. I can't see us getting top four. It almost seems impossible. Mathematically, it's not if we can go and beat Southampton tonight and and somehow beat United on the weekend. I just think you need to rotate. And on paper, the big boys should be doing it. And they... they they showed that they can't. So that's kind of the justification there. Maybe you can put one boy, like today, you can put Pepe in and take him off after 60 minutes. But you can't start with these guys day in, day out. So I think it's just confirmed what we already knew. And it's now real proof point. Look, you're not just out of the FA Cup. You're rubbish. Please just stop. Like, stop playing you know, at Arsenal. Um, so I'm not devastated. I'm not. I just think it would have been nice. And now I have no incentive to watch the FA Cup. It's not like there are fancy football points that are added to, to my score when I watch United, Liverpool or or Arsenal's potential opponents. The only thing I'm excited about is watching every team that plays Spurs try and knock them out. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I put on last night. 
um, I was playing some cards and I said, oh, you know, it was 82nd minute, I think. And I said, oh, just finish this last hand and we'll go watch extra time. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Ruthless. Um, you know, a bit embarrassing for Spurs, but it happens with these smaller teams. It just happens. I was surprised that he threw Son and Kane on so early. And I think it could potentially be a detriment of that Liverpool game because I think Liverpool are, Liverpool are going to be hungry for um, for revenge in footballing sense. Salah's got a couple more goals now. I wondered how you thought, felt about that game because in terms of your title credentials, certainly seems like one of the biggest and potentially, maybe not at this stage, but it certainly would would damage your aspirations of that top four for sure if you started losing momentum and subsequently losing games. Yeah, I think that Liverpool game is massive, particularly when you take into account how close we came to beating them at Anfield. I mean, obviously we lost 2-1 and we're kind of hanging on for the draw at the end, but we had the Bergwijn chance to hit the post, the free header from Kane. I mean, really, we should have beaten them that day. And obviously they've been in a, a very bad run of form, but they looked like they were starting to get back in the groove against Man United. They're finding their shooting boots again, and they're going to be, like you said, desperate to try and put things right. So even though they've been on a terrible run of form, I think in a way it's probably the worst time to face Liverpool. And I think definitely if we lose, I mean, I think probably the title, to be honest, even though we're only, you know, if, if we're not that, the way the, ta- the table is this season, it wouldn't take much to get us back in the title race again. But I think the title is probably gone anyway. When you look at how well City are playing, it's probably going to end up being between them, United, Liverpool. Maybe we can, you know, keep on being within four to six points so that it's still kind of in reach. But most likely we're in a, a top four battle with with Leicester, maybe with Chelsea if they have a resurgence, uh, with Southampton if, if they keep up their run of form, maybe Everton. So um, I think... A loss would be disappointing and damaging, but I think because of what you said with how turbulent the table is this season, I don't think it would be decisive. I still think there's a lot of football left to play. And I think after the Liverpool game, our fixtures are a little bit kinder than the teams around us. I think my my bigger worry would be what you were saying just then about the way in which Mourinho brought on Kane and Son against Wickham, which I agree felt like... It, it was a little bit too early and arguably unnecessary. I mean, I think, yes, we were drawing 1-1, but we were creating chance after chance after chance, and you got the feeling that the goal would come. And on the one hand, it's refreshing to see Mourinho take the domestic cups more seriously than Pochettino ever did. But on the other hand, you you feel that all those extra minutes, even if it's only 10, 20 minutes here or there, will add up at the end of the season. And if we do go as far as he wants us to in all these competitions, you just feel like the squad isn't going to, you know, they're going to run out of energy by the time it gets to the business end of the season because he will have overplayed um, this certain group of players who he relies on rather than trusting the strength and depth. And there was all this talk about how much strength and depth he has at the start of the season, but he's always having to then throw on Kane and throw on Son and throw on Hoybier. And eventually that's going to, come back to bite us if we're if we're not managing their minutes carefully enough and I think the Europa League uh, knockout stages start in Feb fifth round against Everton the FA Cup we you know is a tricky one we could easily get knocked out but if we get past that then we're still going to have a lot on our plate so I think I'm, I'm more worried about the long term and Mourinho's management of the players in the squad 
rather than I am necessarily what happens in that Liverpool game because I feel like they're probably due a win and if we lose it will be disappointing given you feel you watch them at the moment and you feel like we we could and should be beating them but at the same time they are still Liverpool they are, they do have a lot of quality and they'll be able to prove a point so I think whatever happens in that game it'll probably be important not to get too carried away if, if we lose it's not the end of our season the same way that if we were to win it I don't think then all of a sudden we're, we're back in the title race again because there's still a long way to go and I think the the two Manchester clubs are are looking in good form at the moment, but so much can change. I mean, who knows if Tuchel does get off to a good start at Chelsea, the way this season's going, they could be in a tight race all of a sudden. I mean, Aston Villa could, could pop up out of nowhere. So it's hard to really get a handle on um, what to think really this season. I don't know whether, I mean, I guess for Arsenal it's a bit different because you did have such a bad start and you're now recovering. But I feel like with everything that's been going on this season, all the variables, it's quite hard to get a grip on how well, a team is actually doing and where you kind of stand because if I mean if it keeps on going like this a team could finish eighth who were in the top four only a couple of weeks before and then how do you kind of judge that season so it'll be interesting to see if gaps start to form and it gets a little bit starts to look more like a traditional season or whether this kind of craziness is going to continue to the final day yeah and you mentioned just before about how Son and Kane was it was it a bit of reckless decision in a way to to use your two best players in a game which you should be able to easily win when you had a chance in terms of time to win it. And I guess it goes down to that squad depth. And I, I've I've bantered you offline a lot about this, about, oh, another creative attacking midfielder for for Spurs. And, you know, what about X, Y, Z and Deli Ali, for example? And I just wonder, you know, there's, what, it's four or five days left of the transfer window. What... What's going to happen for Spurs? Are, are they bringing anyone in? Are they are they losing any players? Because, you know, one injury to Son or Kane, and dare I say it in my view, Spurs' season's over. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, the, the rumours tonight are that the um, a Delhi loan to PSG is, is very much a possibility, but that Spurs don't want to let him go until they've got a replacement, which I don't see which replacement we're going to get over the next few days so but at the same time it, it does feel like Delhi does want to go and probably does need to go for the sake of his career so we're either going to let him go out on loan for the rest of the season and weaken the squad or we're going to keep a player who then probably still won't be fully integrated into things with Mourinho and we'll have an unhappy player in the dressing room so it, it kind of feels like a, a lose-lose scenario there I don't see who we're going to sign who could replace Delhi. um and sadly, I don't see much benefit to keeping Deli on because it doesn't look like Mourinho is going to play him, even though I think we could use him towards the end of the season. I think we'd regret it if we let him go permanently. And, and I agree, you know, Kane and Son score the majority of our goals. And if we were to lose one or both of them, like, you know, you saw what happened last season when they were both out injured. We were terrible. We had nothing going on up front. We had Deli, we had Lucas, we had Bergwijn, but we didn't have anywhere near the same kind of presence or creativity or, or speed up front. And Okay, we've got Bale, we've got Vinicius, we've still got Lamella, Lucas, Bergvine, but you wouldn't really, you know, if Kane or Son are out, I think it, it it changes the whole complexion of things, and I think things could get ugly quite quickly. I think the the, the shining light at the moment, the person who's probably giving Spurs fans the most hopes is um I, I mean, okay, it was only Wickham, but he came on, he basically created the the second goal with the, his chip into the into the box for Kane. Then he scores the third and he scores the fourth. And he scored that goal against Sheffield United, which we haven't talked about, which 
was just a brilliant piece of skill. And you can say, okay, the caliber of the opposition at Sheffield United and, and it's Wickham. But even in games before that, against Wolves, against Fulham, okay, we drew both of those, but he's starting to dominate games. He's starting to show what he can do. And he's got that air about him now, that confidence, that swagger. And he's starting to chip in with goals and assists. And if we can get more uh, end product out of him, so we're less reliant on Kane and Son, then that could be huge for our season. He could be that that third goal scorer and that creative presence in midfield that we've been looking for. So I think there's a lot of excitement about him at the moment and his form and the way he's been playing. And maybe if Kane or Son or both were to be injured, then he would be the one actually who we'd be looking to to step up and make the difference rather than someone like Gareth Bale, who we thought would be the kind of saviour or, or would form a, a fearsome front three with Kane and Son. Maybe that will happen. It looks like Bale's starting to get some of that sharpness back. But I think Undombele is the one now who is starting to, all the hopes are starting to be pinned on him now for the second half of the season to to make a difference and give us that that different dimension that perhaps we were lacking for a bit at the end of last year when we were starting to drop points. I'm really looking forward actually to seeing him against Liverpool because I feel like that's the kind of game where if we have any chance of winning, then we need him to step up and have a, have a real big match and, and show what he can do. So actually he's become probably more so than Kane and Son now among Spurs fans, the player who we're most looking forward to seeing what he does next, because it's kind of the, the unpredictability factor around him. And touching one, um, upon the great Gareth Bale, I mean, what do you think his legacy is now with Spurs after coming back? Do you think it's, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll let you free for all because I'm interested on, on what Spurs fans think. I think his legacy is always going to be secure because there'll always be the memories of the first time round. And I actually think this season, you know, it's funny. Um, I saw a tweet earlier. He's the only player to have scored for us in all four competitions this season. <laughs> so he scored in the Premier League, the, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup and the Europa League. And he certainly hasn't had the explosive impact that, that we expected when we signed him. But there's a lot of mitigating factors there with his his injury you know he basically turned up injured hadn't played proper football for years really was clearly quite not physically up to up to scratch and and mentally quite low as well um and it it seems from what i've been reading and hearing that it's almost like the the, and this probably makes sense given all the games behind closed doors anyway but that the players are getting more of the benefit of him being back at the moment rather than the fans because there's all this talk about how him and Joe Hart apparently are great characters around the dressing room in their experience. They're great role models for the rest of the players, et cetera, et cetera. And I heard someone say, I think people said maybe it was specifically in regards to Joe Hart, maybe it was Hart and Bale as well. But they said if Spurs win something this season, Joe Hart and Gareth Bale would have played a massive part in that purely through their kind of just the the feel-good factor they brought to the team and the confidence and their experience and what they're kind of teaching other players. And it still wouldn't surprise me if Bale popped up with a huge goal in the second half of the season, you know, he in a, in a semi-final or a final. If he were to, let's say, score the winning goal in, in the Carabao Cup final, then his second time at the club will have been more successful than his first time at the club, even if he's not running halfway down the pitch to, to whack a, a ball in from 30 yards every week like he was last time he played here. So I actually think there's still a lot of promise in the second half of the season, if he can keep fit and keep improving to actually improve his legacy at the club. I, I think that he can only improve. I don't think, I can't imagine what he would have to do 
or not do for his legacy to be tarnished. I think he can only improve things by actually doing what he couldn't do. I mean, he was at the club when we won the, the Carling Cup in 08, but he wasn't part of that squad. I think he was injured at the time. So he didn't really play a part in that. So if he can actually play a meaningful part, make a meaningful contribution to seeing us win a trophy, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility, given we're already in one final, then I think he'll have um, actually improved his legacy at the club. But I know, obviously, he's an easy target at the moment for a little bit of um, little bit of joshing because he's he's not what we you know he's not the Gareth Bale of old. But I still think he's and, you know, goals against Wickham and and Stoke and Brighton and LASK Linz aren't exactly what we imagined when we signed him. But in each of those competitions, it has actually been a a small but but meaningful contribution to help us then get to the next stage. So I think it's just probably readjusting our expectations for him. Um, but I know from the outside looking in, you're probably thinking, wondering, you know, I was asking you what the point with Odegaard was, and I suspect you're probably thinking similarly about Gareth Bale. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with that. I think Gareth Bale has, you know, he, he, he took the brave step of, say I'm going to come back to the club that I love and that made me and and in a way that that was you know some would say it was easy option just go wherever you want but actually you know it's brave to to take that chance to to potentially ruin your legacy if it if he was really really bad but listen he scored some goals he looks okay in a way maybe Jose slightly protecting him in that front he doesn't want to put him all out because he knows he's not the same player and that's why he's pretty much categorically said I'm not <laughs> I'm not signing him in the summer um, but yeah, you're right. He's a full guy. I love picking on him because it's just it just epitomizes old Spurs, um, the old losing Spurs. Um, I worry though that they aren't the what the old losing Spurs anymore, and they they could be onto something special this year. But I bloody pray not. Well, uh, we've got, there's 15 minutes until Arsenal kick off against Southampton. We've already talked about um, Spurs Liverpool on Thursday. Are you hoping for revenge for the FA Cup defeat? Probably by the time people listen to this, they'll know the score. But but what what are your hopes and, and predictions for, for this evening? Well, absolutely hoping for a win. I, I think you're going to be upset we didn't record this a couple of hours later because I could be swearing and blinding and whatnot. Um, I'm expecting that Southampton are going to get something from this game. Um, a win would be a pleasant surprise. Interesting. And after that, Man United, table-topping Man United. How do you feel going into that one? I feel almost exactly like I did with that Chelsea game. Like, we have no chance. It's a big team. We're not going to do anything. But it's at the Emirates again. Who knows? Who knows? I think they're going to have a great game against Sheffield United tomorrow. So they, you know, they will have a bit of momentum behind them. But you just don't know. We'll see really whether Mikel Arteta is the master tactician that we know of. And listen, we know he can play well against a big team or, or get his boys firing. A, re- a result would be a point there. But if you get a point there and a point here tonight, it's looking a bit bleak. You get three points tonight and a point against them and you're right back in the mix. Maybe the um, the Arteta curse can strike Solskjaer this time. Maybe he can put whatever jinx on Oli that he clearly put on Frank Lampard back in December. I pray and hope. Well, we shall see. And next time we speak, I'm sure we'll either be um, 
talking about Arsenal's um, decline once again under Arteta going back to old ways, or perhaps it'll be a um, push for the top four and maybe Spurs will be back in the title race again or we'll be um, tumbling down the table and looking over our shoulders. One thing I can promise you is they wouldn't have won a trophy still. <laughs> that is true, at least until April uh, April 25th. That's the earliest point at which the trophy jokes can no longer be made, or at least they'll have to change and become about the, the calibre of trophy rather than the absence of them. I was planning to order a Man City shirt for that day, by the way. Um, maybe not an official one, but I think I'll be, um, <laughs> I'll be finding some sky blue and taking some pictures. And uh, I, it almost will be like my cup final as well. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll actually buy and drink some Carabao if we win. Very good. I like it. That can be the... Uh, if we win, I'll, I'll drink uh, the, the Carabao on air and give a, a live review. <laughs> That'll be your forfeit if you uh, <laughs> lose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. There are, just so everyone knows, there are plenty of other uh, energy drinks available. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not sponsored by Carabao. No. But if Carabao or any other energy drinks would like to sponsor us, um, it could help us to get Jamie O'Hara on air. On the show, yeah. If you're listening, Jamie. Yeah. Or Arson, anyone. Or Ozil. Bischoff. More Bischoff. Then he would have something all, to put on his Wikipedia page. It's all the same kind of uh, caliber anyway. 